Let me ask you something. Does this thing scare you? Yes. Would you like it if I took this thing and made straight for your goddamn incisors? No. It hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Get scream, right? Mm-hmm. Well, get your ass out of here. Again to another episode of Sin Beef Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Gary Hill, and with me as always now is Mr. Jeffrey X. Martin. How you doing, sir? Doing good. How's it going, everybody? You can't see it, but I'm waving. <laughs> Are you waving? I always do that. I'm waving to our listeners, which is silly. <laughs> <laughs> You're waving, but are you waving like uh, like Dick Jones in a RoboCop when he falls out the window? <laughs> no, it's just a straight up pageant wave. So that's like you know one of those uh, one of those tube man waves he, he was doing <laughs> all the way down to the ground, doing one of those kind of bicycle waves like Hans Gruber. <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker! Exactly. So how's your week been, sir? It's been a good week for the most part. I think winter has finally cleared out of East Tennessee, so we are no longer covered in ice. Does it look like box rules the town anymore? So, yeah, glad about that. We're seeing some sunshine, and I'm starting to cheer up, too, because fuck, man, I got SAD real bad, and when it's gray like that, I'm just worthless. It's like 50 degrees and sunny here today, so I think spring has finally sprung in Chicagoland. Yeah, it's about forty six here, so we're good. Get time for the big melt to happen around here, so I'm I'm I'm, I'm just fine with that. <laughs> yeah, totally cool with that. It's all good. We're talking about putting shit back out on the porch and plants and stuff. So that's when you know spring is coming. When it's like you want to smell mulch. <laughs> I love the smell of fertilizer in the morning. <laughs> Me too. I like it when it's on fire. Like when some asshole just like flicks a cigarette into some new mulch and it just just burns for hours. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh, see, so you watch anything good this week at all, sir? I have watched two things that I needed to watch a long time ago. I finally just not got around to them. I finally watched Dead Snow too. How was that, sir? I, I didn't get around to it. Oh my god, it's it. it's fucking it's nuts. Um, the first one was, you know, it was crazy and it was kind of funny and had some interesting parts to it. And it was an interesting plot. This one just goes completely off the rails. It picks up right where the first one ends. You get to see a nice recap if you miss the first one. It's it's 
pure madness. It's the and at this point, you've got Nazi zombies fighting Jewish zombies, fighting this zombie squad from America, fighting uh, the German guy from the first one who now has a zombie arm. I mean, I can't even. <laughs> can't even begin to process it you can't explain it without sounding like a complete maniac but so worth watching so so fun um so check that out i also finally watched the carrie remake why was that i mean i've seen the theaters what do you think about it i thought it's it's pointless um was it was it floaty carrie that pissed you off because i didn't have tons of problems with it i i thought julianne moore was great in it Especially the part where she's like ripping into her side with the scene ripper, you know. I mean, yeah, she's cutting herself behind the counter. Um, actually, she's one of my problems with it because here she is. You know, she's in this big budget horror movie, and she's acting like she's in a Joe Swanberg flick. You know, she's just like kind of staring at the floor and mumbling, "We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this." And I kind of like the whole over-the-top Piper Laurie, Carrie's mother, better. No, the thing that pissed me off about the movie the most, I think, is um, Chloe Moretz is not bad in the role, but it's like every time she does something, her fucking mouth just flops open like a trout. She's just amazed at everything. She's got them Kristen Stewart uh, problems, you know? Yeah, she just won't, she won't close her mouth. And it's not like she's talking too much, but just like, boo, I'm making shit float. I'm going to have the same look on my face. Oh, I'm killing everybody in my high school. Same look on my face. It's just just this kind of vacant, I'm kind of half amused, half terrified look. And she uses it throughout the entire movie, and it just irritated the hell out of me. <laughs> what else did you watch? <laughs> Uh, that's really been about it. We're catching up on Parks and Rec because that's a nice, happy family show. Fair enough. So, just cracked into season six of that, so we're almost done. I've been cracking into my uh, my voodoo uh, click here. It was all these films that I bought that I haven't even looked at yet. But um, yeah. I, I watched. I'm just give you a quick rundown, real fast. I, I watched Birdman, which is everything everybody says about. You know, great performances. It's crazy. I could have do without the Christian Bale Batman voice he does in that movie, but you know. Everybody deserved all the accolades they got for that movie. If you didn't see it, go see. If you didn't see it, watch Birdman. It's good stuff. I uh, watched Horrible, Horrible Bosses too, which isn't as shitty as you'd think it would be. But I, I had a great. It's not. It's a little light on plot, but it's it's really funny in a lot of parts. So, and you get more motherfucker Jones you can handle, and everybody loves that. You know, you know who that is. <laughs> uh, what else did I watch? I watched St. Vincent with uh, Bill Murray and uh, Melissa McCarthy. Now, how was that? I'm interested. If, if, well, basically, the, the the plot of this movie is that this single mother moves in next door to Bill Murray, who's like this guy who goes to horse races and has sex with a pregnant Naomi Watts, who's who's he's he's the baby daddy actually, and you know he's like this really you know really ugly guy, like that no child should be hanging out with. But somehow this this kid finds kinship in this old fart, you know, and she he hangs out with him and goes. To he, he goes to all those places with him, and uh, he um he's generally a shitty guy, and then really really comes shining through when something happens to him, and the kid doesn't. It's, it's a lot of like like story about you know the kid having a role model. So let's let's look into this old tired old fart, and then at the end it has a real happy ending. But like you know, took a while to get there. Basically, I I give it about a six out of a ten. 
It's 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 a red box. I I get it for the red box. Okay. I just want to have sex with a pregnant Naomi Watts. She's good looking in the movie too. Oh, she's very rarely not. <laughs> I guess my two big big shining points is there are two very different films of this week would be Nightcrawler. I finally caught that. That's a that's a Jake Gyllenhaal joint for you with the yeah. smug bastard hustler who accidentally becomes a a crime scene photographer. I got crime scene cameraman, like he takes like videos for the for the news and shit, and gets in the dark, seedy world of that. And uh, he plays this character, you know, real smug and real asshole, but that's that's just what the character is. And he gets what he wants, and he gets to bang Rene Russo in that movie. So that's a uh, that's good, I guess. You know, couldn't could be worse. Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, my big star for the week would be you know, I, I watched a lot of films in the past couple of weeks would be Big Hero 6, because I love a good Disney flick, and Big Hero 6 is no exception. If you're a fan of uh, Johnny Sacco and his flying robot, you you might really love this film, <laughs> because it's, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of Asian influence in there. Uh, Baymax is really cool when he starts kicking ass with his group of su- superhero scientist kids, and, you know, it's it's... It's 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 just a really fun film to look at and watch, and I really enjoyed myself. I, I I've got one more, and this is a TV no, show. And <clears throat> Last Man on Earth. Oh, the one with um. With Will Forte. Forte. I was say Arnett, but I, I almost did. Chris Chris. Chris Holy shit! Chris Shaw too, right? Yes. I'm a fan of hers. Holy shit! This is the best show on TV right now. It is so good. It is, it is, it's dark, and it's really funny, and Kristen Schaal just is killing it in this show. You've got to check it What's out. What's it all about? I don't, even, I don't even know what it was all about. There was a virus, and for the entire first episode, uh, Forte thinks that he's the last guy on Earth. And then he realizes he's not when he sees smoke off in the distance, and the other person who has survived is Kristen Schaal. And, of course, they have to repopulate the planet, because that's what sci-fi says you're supposed to do, and they can't stand each other. (laughs) And it's wonderful. It's created by the same guys who did the Lego movie and the the Jump Street movies. In fact, his name in in the show is Phil Miller, which is, you know... Phil Lord and Christopher Miller combined. So, yeah, it's fucking priceless. I don't know if it's going to catch on because it's just that weird, but I think it's amazing. So it's like the classic Twilight Zone episode two, starring Elizabeth, Elizabeth Montgomery and Charles Bronson. Yes! About the silence and, you know, and, and, you know, just funny, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it's a scream. Okay. Yeah, shit. By the way, Elizabeth Montgomery, totally bangable in that episode. Totally. I. Yep. Yep. Yes. Very, very pretty. Without saying a word. I was telling my mom, I was looking for that right deaf mute. I think you're in Elizabeth, Elizabeth Montgomery, you know? That, that right deaf mute. And of course, that's perfect for Charlie Bronson, too. So. We, we, could all, we could all dream, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that right deaf mute. Sorry, ladies, listen to the show. I don't. I don't. That Cindy. That Cindy Sin Fallon is gonna put a spell on me or something. You know. <laughs> I love you, though, babe. Sin's all right. Oh boy. Besides that, uh, I guess we'll roll right into our beefs of the week.
X, uh, you, you got a B for the week, sir? Tom Savini wants to remake Nightmare City, and he can suck my dick. <laughs> Explain, sir. Nightmare City is an old, great Italian... It's not even really a zombie movie, but it's angry creatures that eat your face. But they're not really dead. They're just... They've they've breathed in like a radioactive toxin that that mutates them, and so they run all through this city and they're eating people and shit, and it's it is again it's crazy pants. The scene where the creatures attack a televised aerobics class is nothing short of classic. I'm talking biting off tits, just whatever you want. It's just madness. Wow. So now, so now Savini and and the director of Nightmare City is involved with it too, because I guess he's like what 108 now. I don't know, but they've started a fucking Kickstarter to remake Nightmare City, and they want to make it one of those where oh we're going to put all of your favorite stars in it, and I'm like I don't want one that I love as much as Nightmare City. I don't need another movie that's got fucking Sid Haig and Bill Mosley and Robert England and Kane Hodder. You know, the typical, we're going to put all your favorite horror stars in this movie. And it's always those four. Maybe you'll get Tony Todd. Maybe. You know, and just, I, we don't, I don't need that. I wish they would just come up with a new property. If you're going to slap all those people in there, just make it with something new and don't fuck with Nightmare City, you know? I mean, we haven't remade goddamn Bambi yet. Why would we do Nightmare City? Is it safe to say that Tony Todd is the new Bill Mosley? No, I think Bill Oberst Jr. is the new Bill Mosley. Yeah, well, yeah he's definitely replaced him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my buddy makes a joke because he does, he does, he works conventions and he claims if, if uh, Sid Haig isn't at the, at the show that weekend that he is opening a Kmart that weekend instead would not surprise me, dude. The the, 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 the joke that Sid Haig is everywhere, like, like yes. Slash on South Park, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, man. That's funny. Yeah, my beef of the week is it's, it's it's a small bitch, and it might p- piss some people off, you know? I, I see people, you know, talk about, you know, their, their ratings or whatnot. Now, let me ask you a question, X. If, if, if nobody, if you had a limited amount of people listening to your show, no matter what it is, would you still do it if you enjoyed it? Yeah, I would only do it if I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I see people like gloat about their 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 things, and you, you're a liar if you don't care about how many how many downloads you get. See, and, and here's the thing: since I'm on the Horophilia Network, I don't know how many downloads I get. I don't get that information. If I crack the top ten, I'm happy. If I don't crack the top ten, that's okay. I understand that things are cyclical and they go. You know, it, it changes. It depends. If I cover a shitty movie, I can't expect to have, you know, gigantic ratings. There's certain shit that goes into it, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop. That's true. Yeah, I, I never I, I never know? felt that way. You know, it's just people who say, oh, you don't care about this, you don't care about that. I, I, I just, I don't care what you think, you know. I, can't, I care that I, I have a handful of listeners, not, probably more than, more than a handful by now, but, you know, listeners that listen to my show, that listen to us talk shit about movies, or in the case of two Jigger commentaries, where, where we've been in the top three except for last month, the last four or five months past that, talk shit through movies. God bless you people. You know, because I am about as uneducated as they come. <laughs> I am not a college graduate, but yeah, you guys listen to me talk about whatever, you know. So thank you. I appreciate it very much, you know. 
yeah, I feel the same way. It doesn't matter, you know, two drink minimum, cinema beef, whatever the show is. If I'm on it and you're listening, dude, thanks, because you have so many other ways you could be spending your time. You could be tending to your garden. <laughs> you could be uh, having. You could be doing. Oh, sorry. Doing community service. I mean, doesn't matter if you're listening to us. Cool. Thank you. So as long as you're not thinking impure thoughts about small children, I guess you're you're you're, you're having a better time on here. So you know, just then, then we then we ain't got a problem with you. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, next uh, that that was uh, I guess it's a small beef, but I don't have any. Movie beefs this week, unless you want to count another Disney flick I watched, which is called Million Dollar Arm, which uh, Disney can normally make sp- good sports films, but this one was pretty boring. I mean, it's about a guy played by John Hamm, who's like this this Jerry Maguire sports agent type person who goes to uh, India to audition cricket players to be the next big pitcher in, in the major leagues. And it's really inspiring, and these kids are, like, really, like, quirky and funny because, oh, they're Indian, they're from India, and they're coming to the States, and, you know, it's really inspiring because they're they're real people, and they become the two-star pitchers for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and miraculously, and I just don't give a flying fuck because <laughs> it's that boring. It's not like, you know, remember the Titans or, you know, miracle stories you can get behind. This is just some smug bastard oh. played by fucking John Hamm. Who I give two craps and a stroke about, basically. It's a million dollar third arm. You know, bitching, bitching about these fucking kids, basically cramping his style. You know, and I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just not a good movie. So don't watch Million Dollar Arm. There you go, guys. <laughs> so it's like baseball Dutch, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds completely unenjoyable. It is, it is, I think I'll it is not it. enjoyable. I always spent like two bucks on the digital, so you know, there, there you have it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, with that, I guess we'll get right into our features. Uh, X, tell us what we're doing this time around, man. Uh, we are doing bad dentistry through the decades. I don't even know where the hell this topic came from. <laughs> yeah, me neither, man. I drink. I drink a lot. <laughs> I drink what? I drink a lot. I said I drink a lot. I just try to find just the most tenuous connection I can. I was like, ah, teeth. We all have teeth. Okay. Wow. So yeah, bad dentistry through the ages, and we'll be um, should we should we blow it all now or just do it one at a time? Oh, we could we could hit him We get him uh, hit him hit him uh, all at once. We'll tell him what we're doing. Sweet. Uh, we're doing Marathon Man from 1976, followed by Little Shop of Horrors from 1986. And then the Steve Martin joint Novocaine from 2001. We were going to do The Dentist, but it got taken off Netflix the day I was going to watch both of them. So thanks a lot for that, fucking Netflix. Piece of shit. (laughs) All right. And uh, with that, we're going to do Marathon Man first. We're going to do chronological order. And uh, go ahead and hit the trailer right now. See? Fucking stupid shit. Let's try that again. We'll do that. (laughs) We'll do that right after the trailer. Probably want to speak to you. 
I don't know anything. I'd like to use you as possible bait. You never could. You're uncontrollable. What you offer us is valuable, but it's not worth the chaos you're causing. Where is he? No! gets too large between what the FBI can handle effectively and what the CIA doesn't want to deal with. That's where we come in. What do you do exactly? We provide. Provide what? Anything. Were you Sal's mistress? I never even met him. Marathon Man. Marathon Man from 1976. Uh, it's 7.5 on your IMDb. The plot synopsis is this. A graduate history student is unwittingly caught in the middle of an international conspiracy involving stolen diamonds, an exiled Nazi war criminal, and a rogue government agent. Uh, your, your all-star cast for this film, well, kind of, yeah, you can call it that, is Dustin Hoffman, uh, Lawrence Olivier, Roy Scheider, William Devane, and uh, I'll start with you, X, since you had a, a harder time with this film, like enjoying it, going right in. What are your thoughts, your first, your initial thoughts on Marathon Man? Dude, this, I don't know if it's a John Slushinger thing, you know, he's kind of a erratic director for me, or was, apparently he passed away in 2003. He made one of my favorite horror movies, The Believers, which I think is just fan-fucking-tastic. Nice. He made Midnight Cowboy. But then he would, but then he was also making shit like Honky Tonk Freeway. Um, <laughs> so he really had kind of a up-and-down um, career. But this movie is really hard for me to get into, and I think it's because of the pacing and because of his directorial style. It's really heavy-handed. Fair enough. Even myself, and I'm, I'm not a Nazi at all. I'm not even a Nazi per se, but the, the idea of the Nazis and the, their their psyches and what they had going on kind of intrigued me in, 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 in my teenage years. Not not psycho Brad Renfro and that pupil you know, <laughs> intrigued me, but you know, I, I you can blame Indiana Jones for this, you can blame a lot of things for this, but I've always been fascinated by Nazis and all, all their inner workings, and 
I blame Motorhead. Oh yeah, oh, whatever, whatever made him, <laughs> whatever made him tick, basically. And there's a lot, a lot of stuff you could blame, but you know that's one of those things. But Marathon of Man to Me was something I saw way later. I think I seen it based on was it? Did they have scenes in Terror in the Isles? Was it? Was this a thing in the movie? Um, I'm not sure if it was Terror in the Isles. I know it was in like one of those Bravo 100 scariest movie moments. Mm-hmm. Type of thing. Yeah. I, was it in Terror in the Isles? Jeez, I would say Terror in the Isles since it came it out. Could, it could have been. I don't remember. I, I seen it on one of those things, but it made me want to watch it. The same reason why I watched um, what's called Wait Until Dark with Audrey Hepburn. Oh, shit, yeah. C- cocaine and the Teddy Bear. Remember, <laughs> I go to that fucking movie? That's a, that's a good movie. It's really wild. Right? That, it's right. that, that Bravo special where we watched that movie. But um, yeah, this one, I, 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 I really dig it, man. And I really dig the, if you got the DVD, you can watch the behind the scenes stuff, which is pretty neat, you know. I, I, I love the swagger of Robert Evans for some reason, him just talking about film and shit, you know. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, my marathon, man, it, 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 and, and they make a joke about this, about how old Dustin Hoffman is in this movie playing graduate student. And, you know, that's kind of unbelievable. <laughs> but I... I, I I'd say no, I don't think so, because I've, I've known people who've been grad students for 30 some odd years, you know, just professional students. So I, I didn't find anything wrong with that. I did have a hard time with the fact that his character's name was Babe. Yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> that's kind of, I don't, yeah. I don't know, not my jurisdiction. Quick <laughs> question, because I, I really didn't get this, you know, during the movie, because they kept giving those flashbacks of like, uh, of the father, like basically killing himself, killing himself. What was yeah. was the research about? Or was he obsessed with something? I they really, really didn't explain all that much. There was a little here and there with him and the him and his, him and his brother, who was this uh, a secret agent man who has half naked fights to the death with you know one eyed you know I don't even know how to explain it. But there is a there is a fight in this movie <laughs> for fucking Roy Scheider. He did all his own stunts in that scene. Because this is what I, I found out on the extras. He did all his own stunts because he, he wanted it to seem real. So, Well, it's because he's Roy oh, Scheider, yeah. damn it. Where he's looking out the window while he's in Paris, and there's the Eiffel Tower. And there's this freaky one-eyes blue and one-eyes something else hit, uh, hitman coming up behind him with some piano wire. And they have this wonderful fight, this wonderful scuffle where, you know, Roy Scheider wins this one. Let's put it that way, you know. But, uh, <laughs> and it's badass like a fucking, fucking rip too man i gotta say yeah now as far as as far as their dad apparently he had put out a paper but it was during the time of the mccarthy uh era and they were calling him a communist so they kind of ruined his dad's reputation and he couldn't take it and he offed himself yeah it's it's, it's um the, the, the... i don't really know what the what i don't know what it was about but yeah, so just a victim of the Joseph McCarthy witch hunts. Yeah. I, I love little espionage films like this, like the 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 unwitting person being the the the, the one that's being chased. Because as far as a uh, babe uh, played by Dustin Hoffman, who his brother was just like a successful businessman, he didn't know he was into all this, you know, working with uh, Zell played by Laurence Olivier. And William Devane, who's I, I think he's just wonderful in most things, you know. Uh, oh yeah, chase chasing Nazis, and you know, well in this case, working with one of the one of the worst Nazis there is, who has a retractable blade underneath his sleeve at all times, apparently. 
which is used wonderfully in this film. You know? Let's cut up somebody right in the middle of the Diamond District. Right in the middle of the Diamond District, man. Just, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, this one here. Uh, Olivier is fucking great in this movie. Yeah, and he was fucking dying and they did during like the whole production of this movie. And they said that, yeah, you know, the, the adrenaline he got from just letting them work. I mean, Robert Evans had to go to, to the Lords of London to take an insurance policy out on him just to let him work. That he lived 13 more years after this film was made. So, you know, just, I don't know if that had contributed to it or, you know, whatever, but he was that elated that somebody would let him work on a film. And what results did they have for this one? Well, this was, this was huge. People love this movie. Um, let me see if I can find a little bit of thing here. Give me a second. This is this is the shit that I should already have, you know, memorized and looked up, but did not. <laughs> um, yeah, no idea. But it was it was. I remember it being a huge hit back in '76, and I remember people talked about it a lot, which made me want to see it. And of course, I couldn't because I was, you know, seven. <laughs> Um, let's see. Okay. Yeah, here it is. Budget of 6.5 million took in 28 million domestically. Nice. Yeah. And really when you've got Dustin Hoffman and Lawrence Olivier and Roy Scheider, in my mind, three of the greatest actors of the 20th century time for sure. It's you you can't imagine that that thing would fail. No, there's just no, there's just no way. Yeah, if I had to go like, go character to character, I, mean, I, I I talk about like certain scenes in the film where there, there's a scene where I love <laughs> where Roy Scheider basically figures out that, that Babe's girlfriend is a Nazi. The the, the oh. dinner scene, the, the very uncomfortable yes. one. <laughs> yes. Just telling them all they telling all these fake ski stories, like, yeah, yeah, you know this is right, you know that's right, and all of a sudden, yep, caught bitch, you're a fucking Nazi. And then, <laughs> of course, you know, Zell knows all about his little fucking Nazi insurgent, and you know that's that makes me uh makes me happy, you know that this is all things set up by him. One scene that makes me laugh in this film that should not make me laugh is when Zell's brother bites the big one because he's just arguing with a fucking guy next to him. I'm guessing the guy is Jewish because they're going back and forth in German, and you know the opening scene. The opening scene, yeah. The opening scene is a, it's hysterical. I'm sorry. I know it shouldn't make me laugh either, but it does because you've got this old New York Jew who looks like Jack Albertson. Yes, he does. Uh, you know, he's already mad because the heater in his car won't turn off. And then you've got Zell's brother who looks like, um, <clears throat> it looks like he's running Gringotts. Um, and his car doesn't work. And they, they, get into a shouting match in the middle of the street and the the Jewish guy is yelling at him in Yiddish and the German guy is yelling back and it's funny he's just yelling at him because he's a Jew and the other guy is like oh well you're a fucking Nazi and they just they fucking cannonball run each other through the streets of New York going about 25 miles an hour until until their cars get some pickup trading paint and everybody's just on the sidewalk watching nobody's like hey guys what's wrong calm down they're just like what the fuck is this and then they both run into a fucking kerosene truck and explode See, not, not, this being so funny you know you think it would be that much cause of, of to, the, to the plot in the film but it has a very big big plot point in the film 
Oh, it's huge. Because um, <clears throat> Zell at this point is paranoid as fuck because he has all these diamonds that he stole from these Jews in the Holocaust out of their teeth and shit, all tucked away in different things, and people acting as couriers, and he's all afraid that folks are going to rob him. So instead of getting fucked up, fucked over, let's just kill everybody. Including Babe's brother, you know, Roy, Roy Scheid, the Roy Scheider character in this film. And that's how Babe gets caught up in all this. Because, uh, of course, Roy Scheider being as tough as he is, having taken the, the, the blade of Zell, you know, makes it all the way to his brother's apartment very dramatically. Yes, fucking walks all the way back. It's amazing. I guess he's leaving his intestines behind like a trail of breadcrumbs. He's all that is man, apparently. It's for, it's he Roy is. Scheider and, uh, Sets him up for his brother to be this this thing where he doesn't know anything, but they think he knows some stuff. So, of course, he gets abducted and fucked over by William Devane in this movie, you know, who I first saw in Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. You know, that's 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 just me, though, you know. Me, too. <laughs> <laughs> Which came out in 78, I think. Yeah. Good shit, though. Good shit. Who doesn't love Tanner cursing at people? That's a... Shut the goddamn door! Because <laughs> fat kids eat KFC on the toilet. That's, that's right. <laughs> that's not nice. That's a poor stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> See how this shit comes up, man? It's bad. God, God oh, damn, William yeah. Vane. But, uh, but yeah, he thinks he's helping him, but he's not helping him because he's working for Zell. Not, not really secretly, but you know... He tells him, he basically James Bond villain and his way the plot to him. He tells him everything, which is real dumb, considering he has to bring him back to Zell. But right. he escapes with all this valuable uh, Holocaust uh, thief uh, information. <laughs> I'm just going to tell the whole plot right here in the car, you know. Uh. <clears throat> and then you get that great scene where, you know, he's, he's you know, doing the dentist thing and it's... Which is why this movie is still famous. Yeah, I think yeah. The, the, I think the fact that it goes out of focus for like a couple times just to say you don't know what's happening, but nothing's really happening, which is a really funny story Dustin Hoffman told and the extras about he didn't want to hurt him in real life, so he basically was being really careful with these tools because he the, the right. way he was holding him is he he watched some guy pick flowers for like an hour and see how delicate he was using with his hands, just picking these flowers. And that's the the, the 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 inspiration he got by doing his dentistry shit in the movie, you know. And he played a joke on, on poor dying Laurence Olivier, thinking that he actually heard him. That's where you get that big scream from in the movie. It's him fucking with Laurence <laughs> Olivier, you know. <laughs> Give the old man a heart attack, why don't you? You know, it's just he's not, he's not long for this world, but apparently he lived 13 more years past. So what the fuck do I know? But uh. I thought that was quite funny that you know you, that you you got that scream in the film that loud when everybody knows what it is and he uh, that was uh, him basically playing playing him for a fool in real life, you know. Yeah. So anyway, if if you're one of those people who's always heard the catchphrase "Is it safe?" and you're not sure where it comes from, it comes from Marathon Man because the reason Lawrence Olivier is digging around in Dustin Hoffman's fucking teeth. It's because he's looking for the diamonds. He's torturing him for information he doesn't have. It's terrible. And he, he ends up giving uh, the character a root canal on a healthy tooth. That's bad. <laughs> Which is just a horrible thing to think about. I mean, God, that just makes your balls go back up in your stomach, doesn't it? 
God, he goes in for that drill. You just see it, it, it go out of focus, and then you know you, you really shot goddamn well. He just he sees sees like really stupid, like going out of focus would do something for you. But the fact that you don't know what's happening, you don't see what's happening. Not like now, where you know you would see blood gushing out, and you would see the drill inserting, and blah 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 right. blah. Filmmaking one hundred and one, children. Make us yep, make like, us believe what we can't see is really hurting the fuck out of this character, you know. Well, it's like the visual effect of your eyes tearing up and you're going all squinchy because it hurts. Mm-hmm. Because that's what would happen. But yeah, it actually shows that to you on the movie when it goes out of focus. It's just like, <laughs> like, like just imagine the excruciating pain you might be going through without showing you the blood and the guts of of of. Of the these rip roaring two thousand the 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 twenty aughts of you know today you know, Ugh, yeah. Imagine if somebody like fucking I don't know Marcus Nispel was doing this, you know, it'd it'd all be fucking sepia toned except for the blood and his hands would be filthy dirty and it'd just be it looked like. Uh, colonic irrigation instead of a root canal. Let, let Aja do a, a remake of a marathon <laughs> man. Let's see how much crazy pants shit we get, you know. Just a straight blood fountain. That's all it would be. Just, just him gushing blood throughout the entire rest of the film. Out of Maybe his with some Brahms playing in the background, you know. Just, yeah, some Brahms. Maybe you want to do a couple of mannequins. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious! But yeah, the fun doesn't stop there because naturally, you know, he escapes and to, to my one of my favorite my favorite characters of the entire film. For some reason, he lives in the shittiest neighborhood possible, and he has these great Puerto Rican Afro neighbors. So they gotta go get his shit his apartment for him, and you know. Oh my god, that's funny! The fact that he they don't know him by name. What, what do they call him? Oh, Mister Creep or Creepy Man or something like that. I forget what they call him. Yeah, something like that. And, uh, yeah, big fucked up afro. <laughs> Go steal my shitty TV, and he, you can give my stuff for me while you're at it. And, you know, it sounds like a real small point in the film, but there's a lot of there's a lot of landmark scenes in this film. That is not one of them. But uh, I, I just love the, the mentality of Zell, thinking everybody, everybody's going to rob him. So almost, you know, he he becomes the inner Jew that's always been inside, you know, the, the, the money-grubbing action. It's, it's, but I'm sorry. No, no. I was just gonna say you're right about that. <clears throat> Go ahead. No, I think it's really funny that the, right around this time, Lawrence Olivier, he played Neil Diamond's father, who you know, in 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 the jazz singer, you know, a prominent Jewish person in the Jewish church and in the synagogue. He he Dude, played, I love he played name. a Jew hunter in in boys boys from from Brazil. Boys from Brazil. And now he plays the most masterful Nazi possible with a blade up his arm. Cutting motherfuckers up for the Diamond District and the Marathon Man. It's like the biggest, the weirdest transition ever, you know. And think of well, and think of the time too. I mean, you couldn't make Marathon Man now; it wouldn't make any sense. But in the seventies, you still had people going, "Oh, all the Nazis fucking went to Argentina." And in the seventies, they would have still been old, and that's one of the big main points in Marathon Man because as you get towards the end every Jew in New York City recognizes Zell oh yeah the the, the Vice Angel yeah every single person is like oh fuck I remember you dude and it's almost like this weird you can almost feel the the ground roots uh, swelling to go kill this man starting up oh yeah they, they, know, they knew just who he was because you know I, I, I forget what I was watching oh what was it 
Why for somebody somebody recognized their 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 Nazi captor and I think they killed themselves or something because they had the the, the 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 number on their hand their arm. I forget which movie it was, but it, it, it happened just like that. They recognized him, and then right after that, they went to go off themselves because they were so afraid of their their Nazi captor. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that. I can't remember what it is either. Uh, One of our listeners will yes, know. they will. I'm sure they very well know that. <laughs> hey, stupid assholes. It was blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, they didn't. That was that pupil. They didn't kill themselves. But um, the, the, the part of that pupil where um, Ian McKellen is, is, is stuck in a hospital bed after Brad Renfro <sighs> loses yes! his mind. And then one of the persons that he held captive at the camp sees him laying in the bed next to him. He starts to go into, like, yeah. cardiac arrest from this, you know, and, oh, God. What a powerful fucking film that is. I, I love that. Underrated King film ever, you know. Yeah, because it's so fucking uncomfortable, It is. Dude. It's very uncomfortable. But uh, this one, you know, of course, you know, evil is punished, you know, in the end. I won't, I won't give it away if you've never seen it before. But uh, Zell gets all of his diamonds, and you know <laughs> he's still very afraid. Somebody's gonna steal these diamonds, and Dust, our, our hero, Babe, finally gets the upper hand in a very cool end scene of this film. Yeah, which um, I'm not gonna give it away either. But let's just say there's a certain superhero movie that ripped off the end of Marathon Man uh, quite well. Yeah, 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 they did. Yeah, they did. I, I agree there. But uh, yeah, with that. You know, all that good stuff. Uh, anything else you want to say about the marathon, man? Um, no, not really, except that you get to see Marta Keller, um, who is gorgeous, and whom you very rarely saw after the 70s. And she almost always played a horrible person. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Black Sunday, she was the one who came up with the plan to kill everybody at the Super Bowl. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, uh, it's, I, I, I enjoy these, these Nazi type, these espionage films. This is why I, when, even when I was a kid, I enjoyed films. I, I still enjoy cloak and dagger. It's one of those films that, you know, like, wow, this is a children's film, but this is not a children's film, of course, but it has still has that same kind of espionage feel to it, you know, with, with the Nazis thrown in. Yeah, uh, Olivier. Nothing bad can be said about him in this role, except the fact that he plays a bad person. You know, uh, Dustin Hoffman's great. Roy Scheider is rift, but uh, boom, go, Roy, gone too soon. You know. Yeah, Roy Scheider was Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider was Roy Scheider. Yes, indeed. That's all you got to say. Kelly. Yeah, to oh, me, I'm sorry. To me, this movie's got an interesting uh, combination of hopscotch with Walter Matthau, <laughs> and uh, you don't mess with the Zohan. What? <laughs> what is the plot of hopscotch i don't know what this is oh it's um where walter Matthau plays a cia agent who retires and says he's going to write a book about everything that he knows mm -hmm. so the cia comes after him and it's one of those you gotta hide here's the information here's false information i have a copy of this that same kind of espionage type deal you see William De uh, William Devane, who played the coach in Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. Walter Matthau, who played the coach in the Bad News Bears. See, it all comes full circle, people, you know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as the rating, uh, what would you give it there, my friend? I, I can't give it any less than a seven. 
Um, and I don't really, I don't really want to. But when you have this much talent in one movie, giving it anything less than a seven is just a crime. So I will give this movie a seven. Okay, yeah, me. Uh, I really enjoy myself every time I watch this film. I've, I've seen it multiple times. Not the best Nazi film out there. I think the Boys from Brazil is better if you want to yep, yep. pick one, you know, to watch. And it's got Gutenberg in it, you know. Yeah, very young Gutenberg and Gregory Peck is Joseph Mengele. Yes, he does. And uh, yeah, it's 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 like a it's like a seven and a half for me. It's it's like they said there there are some dull parts in there, and I was a little lost when they were talking about the father, which was kind of unnecessary in the film. Except for the, you think so? That that was kind of unnecessary. The film had nothing to do with the plot, really. Well, just the fact that Babe was studying the same thing in grad school, so you kind of get that whole. Um, I'm still trying to get daddy's approval, even though he's dead sort of thing. Yep. I don't know. Not really much, not really much of a motivation. Um, it made about as much sense as, you know, let's keep showing Jesse Owens winning the Olympics over and over again. So, hey, you know, him, him being a loser grad student, his brother knowing all, all uh, an array of fine wines and kick it, kick, <laughs> kick acidly, you know, right. Yeah. Hard to live up to that. But uh, with that, we'll uh, leave you people and move on to our next feature right after this. Hi, I'm Mike White. And I'm Rob St. Mary. And we're the hosts of the Projection Booth Podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay. But we think it's time that you have. We've been doing this for over three years now. And we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week we look at a different film and put it in context. We try to bring you interviews with the people behind the films. Or experts on a subject matter covered in the film. We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We try to examine every aspect of cinema. From every corner of the globe. Even at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're ready. We're ready for you to listen to us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalow. Or our website. Projection-booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to them. It all began in this little shop. Ow! Damn roses! Where, strange as it seems, something extraordinary happens. I'm afraid it isn't feeling very well today. No, it's not this What kind of a riddle plot does that seem? Little Shop of Horrors, a story about a boy. I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Unless I open a vein. Where did you get such a weird plan? Girl. You don't make a nice voice when you live on Skid Row, Mr. Mushnick. See, now this is my date, my boyfriend. The florist. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. You'll be a You have a talent for causing things. Stop me a People will pay you me I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. Feed me Seymour. And a plant. Feed me all night long. How am I supposed to keep on feeding you? Whoa! Catch me now, I'm just a mean green mother from outer space and I'm gay. I'm just a mean green mother from outer space and it looks like you've been had. Yes! 
Rick Moranis. Man's a total disgrace to the dental profession. Ellen Green. Excuse me. Excuse me what? That's better. Vincent Gardenia, with special guest appearances by Steve Martin, John Candy, and Bill Murray. It's your professionalism that I respect. Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors in 1986. Uh, 6.9 on your IMDb. Uh, plot synopsis this. A nerdy florist finds his chance for success and romance with the help of a giant manding plant who demands to be fed. Uh, your core cast for this is... Rick Moranis. Everybody who was ever in a movie in the 80s. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Rick Moranis uh, plays Seymour Crowborn. Uh, Ellen Green plays Audrey. Well, I guess Audrey won, you know. Uh, Vincent Gardenia plays Mr. Mushnick. Steve Martin plays Orange Chevello. Chevello DDS. You got to put the DDS on there, Jack. He'll slap the fuck out of you. Uh, your three singers, of course, uh, two of which were on the Martin Show: Tachina Arnold, Michelle Weeks, and Tisha Mar- Tisha Campbell Martin. Martin. Martin Lawrence. Martin. And then a great array of fucking cameos, including Bill Murray, John Candy, James. Well, even James Belushi is even funny in this movie for a second. Yes. Christopher Guest. There's there's lots of good stuff in this movie, and of course uh, Levi Stubbs of uh, the Four Tops plays the voice of the year year manning plant Audrey too. This of course is a remake of um, that Roger Corman joint from the from the the sixties. Yep, with Nicholson. Nicholson as the as as your uh, your dentist. Well, as the patient. As the, as the patient. Yes, I'm sorry. It's been a long time since I watched that one. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's yeah, probably right. by now. It is. It's like, I've got that around here somewhere. Uh, fuck if I know where. And then you leave. It's like, I had this eight times, like in four different collections. <laughs> I think the fact that this this morbid little film is directed by Frank Oz is the thing that blows my mind the most. You know? <laughs> the, the guy that made the fucking Muppets, you know, you know, great. One of them, one of the people responsible for that made this fucking movie about a plant who eats people. That makes sense to me because he did so much work with Landis back in the seventies and early eighties. Everybody knows that Landis hates children, so you know. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, Landis. You know. Oh, but yeah, my initial thoughts on this film. I guess I'll I'll shoot into this one first. I saw it when I was a kid. It's one of those ones that stuck with me through the years. But I know all the fucking songs because I've watched it. This was a VHS rental. And a cable staple for so many fucking years. It still is. It's an encore right now somewhere, I guarantee you, children. <laughs> on demand or something. And, uh, yeah, it's totally 80s, you know. And the, you, you got to love Rick Moranis in this role because he plays it so well. Uh, Ellen Green. I'm glad she got shot in the chest in The Professional because her voice is annoying as fuck in this movie. <laughs> oh! <laughs> that's, that's not a nice thing to say, but... Uh, oh! It's like, you thought Fred Drescher was annoying. Well, listen to this girl's voice. That's hardcore, brother. Professional. <laughs> what's, what's, what's your thoughts, my friend? <laughs> um, I don't like musicals much. I never have. I've just... There are a few now that as I've gotten older, I've grown to appreciate. But I saw this fucker in the theater three times and bought the soundtrack on cassette. Nice. 
So this is a movie that I have loved for years. And I'm it's it's interesting because I mean it's eighties as shit just because of the cast, but there's something about this movie that is it's timeless. I don't know if it's because of the combination of the 50s style music and the 80s style filmmaking and the physical special effects, which are incredible. They're still not even blue on Blu-ray. They're nice to look at. Nothing's really, you know, faded out, even remastered. You think you see some wires and some shit, but it's still fun to look at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, this is a movie you could watch with your kids as long as they're not, you know, terrified of plants <laughs> or or being eaten so <clears throat> so yeah this is a movie I, I i recommend this so highly to everybody if you've never seen it it's just it's better than it has any right to be i mean it, start, it starts out like pretty much just right because it sets up the, the neighborhood perfectly with the skid row song which you know don't let me turn it on because i'll start singing the lyrics to skid row you know it's like the, yep. the, the, the worst shittiest part of, of new york city probably where they're at or or any town any 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 shithole usa could be philadelphia could be new york city could be chicago yeah. could be st louis yeah, who you knows? don't know <laughs> it's supposed to be that that, that time that place kind of deal and it starts out, you know, with the, the neighbors bitching about their laundry and how the hot dogs are shitty and their lives are shitty, but they they droll on every single day. And it, it just makes sense to start with that, just just to give you set up, you know, where you got Seymour, who's a who was uh, brought up an orphan, taken in by Mr. Mushnick to work in his shitty garden shop, you know, given a given a crust of bread and a job, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems like a really shitty thing to do. I want to take this kid in and make him sweep my floors and sweep that floor, kid, and give him a crust of bread and a job, you know. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it goes on where he, you know, goes on to another musical number where he goes to to the Asian plant market and gets a total eclipse of the sun, and there's magically <laughs> appears this fucking. This little unknown plant, which, you know, becomes a fucking man-eater, and it's fucking magical, you know. It's, and it's like in a tuna can when he first gets it. It's just really tiny. But he takes it home, and he eventually, uh, through trial and error and another song, figures out that the thing lives on blood. <laughs> so he'll, like, cut his finger. Rick Manis will cut his finger, put it in the plant's leaves and it just starts sucking on his finger like grandpa the texas chainsaw massacre yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what i've ever seen still makes the laugh to stay so hard is when he goes on was it wink winkleman's world of weird, weird. played by john candy john candy just fucking acting the fool on the radio and it's perfectly played like these assholes would act on the radio in like the 1930s or 40s making sound effects with things and doing real stupid like blowing horns in the microphone and shit and you know wait a second put your clothes on lady shit like that you know and <laughs> like it's radio so nobody knows it's true or not so it's, it's played so perfectly in the part where the plant's gonna bite that lady's ass but he doesn't yes he laughs so fucking hard you know <laughs> yeah so we're catching just in time <laughs> so seymour gets famous because of this plant and of course he names it after Ellen Green's character, Audrey. So he names it the Audrey 2. 
and he eventually has to feed it live or whatever, just human beings, like a huge Venus flytrap in order to keep it alive. And it starts talking and singing and demanding more food and telling Seymour how they're going to be famous and he'll get a motorcycle and, you know, a little nookie going to clean up those zits and he'll get it. So it ends up being this really weird kind of Svengali story where, you know, he brings up this plant and then the plant becomes this giant shadow over his entire life and forces him to do things that he would never do. Well, to, to be fair, you know, we, we, to get into this episode about dentistry, we have to get talks about our dentist. Uh, Audrey, who, who's, you know, this this really fawn woman, she's really thin, and you've seen the movie, I'm sure, guys. His boyfriend is this real shithead dentist who probably has the best song of the whole film because, yep. uh, what is what? How's Mister Mushik put it? He's not a nice boy, you know. I think it's something like that. <laughs> he's not, man. He, he 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 shot puppies with his BB gun, and you know, and all kinds of crazy shit. Like he was he was evil or shit when he was a kid. And basically doing his best. Elvis. Yes, he could, you know. Uh it's 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 just a terrible fucking person who who huffs nitrous oxide because he has it on him at all times and slaps around Audrey when he runs out, and you know, it's just it's. Oh man, yeah, I'll start over again. And this is this is not a cool dude, but he he wears a leather. He but he is he, he dresses like the Fonz for one thing. He wears a leather jacket. And he drives a motorcycle. So Audrey probably thinks this guy is real cool. But he's what we would call uh, in this time. He's he's an abusive boyfriend. Yes. Um, you know, Audrey comes to work with black eyes and. Band aids in various places, but it's it's so it's so of its time though. Like if you, I mean, I, I hate to say that back then it was socially accepted to slap around your woman because I never do that, you know. But the fact that she's constantly has cover up on her, just to cover up all of her her bangs and bruises, just to cover up that this that this is happening, it's it's, oh, it's very it's, yeah, it's very Lee Marvin. So nineteen, you know, of fifties or forties, you know, back in these days. Just to cover the fact that oh oh everything's fine everything's fine I just burnt the roast he's he, <laughs> he he just he just he, I said I was sorry but uh you know I, it was my fault it's my fault it's my fault you know that kind of I walked into a door it's okay <laughs> oh man so it's it's so it's even like the uh, domestic abuse isn't funny children but you know the fact that she carries around this concealer constantly just to cover up what he's done to her is just it blows my mind but then he gets the best song in the whole fucking movie. Yeah, which is this is absurd. He, he's just being abusive to his patients, and to the point where one patient is hanging on top of the ceiling. Nobody knows how he got up there, but he's <laughs> so terrified of this guy and what he's going to do to him, you know, that he <laughs> and he falls down and lands perfectly in the chair for you to, you know, say ah, and he's spraying the water in his mouth, and you know, now spit and 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 the whole this whole thing to to. Please, his mother apparently because he had a whole shrine to his mother inside of a, a closet as his practice, you know. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like Jason's mother's head. <laughs> it was very Italian, which she, which which she doesn't really explain a lot. But you know, if you you you've known these old Italian women, you've known they they married either a, a Polish or an Irish son of a bitch. My grandmother was no obsession. Her last name was Albamonte. She was a hundred percent Sicilian. She was an emotional woman, and she was a trophy wife. People, she 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 was brought up that way to 
be pleasing to men, not like blowjobs or anything like that, you know, but to, to like have dinner ready at four for my grandfather. And if it wasn't ready, she was that kind of trophy wife. He didn't slap her around, but he, he did the mental thing where, you know, this is what you're going to do for me, that kind of thing, you know, and clean it up, you move. Pretty much, pretty much. Coffee was ready at eight, but yeah, she she was no exception. She wasn't his wife, but you know she was very much that trophy girlfriend. It's like yeah, I'll slap her around. She'll love me tomorrow, you know that kind of deal. You know she can't do any better. Yeah, not in Skid Row, baby. Not in Skid Row at all. That's right. <laughs> right. So the thing that I love about this is, as that character Steve Martin, not only does he beat up his girlfriend, but he really gets off on inflicting pain on his patients to the point where he's got a special nitrous mask oh, yeah. that he uses on himself. The gas is not for the patients. It's for him. And he's got specialty uh, instruments oh God, that he uses. <laughs> and they look like, seriously, they look like the gynecological instruments in Dead Ringers oh. that Jeremy Irons just fucking created himself. Just spikes and gears and just the most horrible things you could imagine to put in someone's mouth. It's just terrifying, but still really funny. And Bill Murray walks in and he's totally into it, you know. Yes, he's like, you You can recommend it very highly. Like he's reading like the dentist back pages. <laughs> Steve Martin's name just pops up. Boom. He probably found his name in it over one of those weird S&M catalogs, probably in the Sears catalog right right after the bras, you know, and, uh, Exactly. <laughs> oh, but that that, that that scene's pretty lots of funny scenes in this film. And I, I, I've always heard about this uh this alternate ending, which I haven't seen, but it's on the Blu-ray, where basically Audrey grows to uh the size of Kong, I guess, and takes over the whole all of Skid Row and probably the world. And I never seen this before, but I've always loved the conclusion that you had. I, I love the the the, the, the thing of her, she's doing the Better Homes and Gardens magazine thing. Because, again, mm-hmm. it goes back to that, that 50s mentality of, you know, I'm going to have the perfect house and the perfect lawn and the the, the, the the perfect husband and the perfect life. And, you know, the the white picket fence, the TV dinners, the twin beds. And then, of course, that's all <laughs> sullied by Family Guy. Have you ever seen that before? Oh, damn it, Gary. Yes. <laughs> The old perverted man in Chris is, is Audrey and her. And he sings it with that damn whistling lisp. Oh, it's, it's, it's so awful. Uh, ruined it, man. <laughs> I had to share it with you. This old perv wanted to bang Chris. Oh, man. That's that's funny. So, oh, man. If you haven't seen it, go find it. It's ruined it for you, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't let us be the only ones whose memories are completely jacked by that scene. <laughs> But yeah, like I said, a lot, a lot of folks who don't like musicals probably like this movie a lot because of the, the, the fucking grim-ass themes in it of basically uh, Seymour turning into the, this this character that he didn't want to be, you know, because he's got to cater to this plant, which is making the, the shop and him all kinds of money now. So it's kind of got him by the balls, literally in this film, you know? Yep. Because, of course, you get the hilarious Mean Green Mother number at the end. Or he basically starts to lose his shit and all the vines come pouring out and all the little baby Audrey's come out singing and, you know, and, oh, God, it's it's, it's, it's a magical fucking film. And I, I, I couldn't recommend it more than anybody didn't, didn't watch it. And 
it's a shame Rick Moranis is retired from acting. So, yeah. Revival, man. Revival. That's all I'm saying, you know. <laughs> yeah. I really can't. I, I really, in my head, I just can't believe that anybody um, has not seen this movie. So, please, see this movie if you haven't, because it's fantastic. Love it, love it. I forgot it. to mention this is a David Geffen joint who also gave us Beetlejuice, so, you know, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. It's a little, little something, something for your taste, you know, Buzzer, and enjoy, sit on that and enjoy that, and oh, boy. But, yeah, you got anything else you want to say about Little Shop of Horrors? Um, no, go see it, or watch it, find it. It's not hard to find. Um, yeah, just, it's, it's probably... No, just it's it's better than Footloose. It's the best musical of the '80s, and you should totally watch it. Yeah, I I agree that it's probably the best musical of the '80s, and I, I do enjoy it. I enjoy a lot of musicals for some reason. My friend made me go see Moulin Rouge with them at least three times in the theater because uh, we like them. Nicole Kidman titties. You know, I, I can't help these things. You, you you get wanting and wanting and wanting, and you start to sing along with the music and you know what whatever it's 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 it's, it's infectious man like the village people but uh that's a dude <laughs> it's infectious man it's infectious but um yeah i guess we'll do ratings now uh what's your ratings for little shop of horror sir going to get that sucker an eight and a half beautiful it's a nine i think it's almost a perfect film there's, there's not much wrong with it except the fact that i can't stand archery one's voice <laughs> But she gets she gets slapped around good, and I am not happy about that. But you know she does get slapped around, so there is some redemption there for the Audrey voice. That's true. Now, yeah, now, somebody so- go find friend Dresher and bitch slap her in the mouth, please, just one time, <laughs> just for just for fun. It's like, what, what's that for? You know why? You know, yeah, for living. <laughs> that's for that's for the beautician and the beast. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be close fist there, dear boy. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> but um yeah, enough with the domestic abuse. We'll be right back after this. American Dream He's just a common man. The American Dream Dusty Rose Davis. I'm coming to you live in a living color. Speak to you, the American people, a podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. And you know that the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silver sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling, Silver and Gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears, stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's carcass hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold, we talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. A person can lose a lot of things. He can lose his soul. He can lose his life. But I've always said, the worst thing a man can lose is his teeth. It's true. I should know. 
Dr. Frank Sangster had the perfect life. Good morning. The perfect job. And the perfect girl. Then, his 7.30 walked in. New patient, Susan Ivy, room three. Can I ask you something? Ever do it in the chair? Ever do it in the chair? Your handkerchief's falling out. What handkerchief? Your little red handkerchief. <laughs> Forensic investigator from last night. We're gonna need your teeth. Sorry? Teeth. Chewed them up real good, didn't you, Chopper? Someone is trying to set me up. Why did you talk to your little friend with the red panties, huh? I bet she knows more than I do. Stay away from my sister. I don't know who your sister is. Oh, I think you do, friend. I think you do. Now, to clear his name, he'll have to get to the root of the crime. Steve Martin, Helena Bonham Carter, Laura Dern, Scott Kahn. This feels like Novocaine. This feels like Novocaine. I don't know why I did it, but I went ahead and did it anyway. Novocaine from 2001. It's a 5.8 year IMDb. Plot synopsis is this. A dentist finds himself a murder suspect after a sexy patient seduces him into prescribing her drugs. Uh, your core cast is Steve Martin back again as Dr. Well, Frank Frank Sainster, DDS again. See you guys? DDS. Uh, Laura Dern as Jean Noble. Lynn Thigpen, the chief herself, as Pet. <laughs> chief. God damn. <laughs> I thought I said it. We're in the world's Carmen San Diego pun. Oh, oh god damn it! That was Rockapella in my head, and that is your fault. We need our own Rockapella. Just, just, I'm just saying. We can say do it Rockapella, <laughs> and they can sing random songs about the films we're doing. You know. So if you're an acapella group, or you're your local, you, you want to do some shit for us, you know, I'll take that. I'll take that apple. Just go along. Yeah, man. But back to the cast. Uh, Helena Bottom Carter as Susan. <sighs> Elias Codius, uh, Casey Jones himself as Harlan Sangster. Scott Kahn is <laughs> the very psychotic Dwayne in this movie. I love Scott Kahn. Incestuous <laughs> psychotic Dwayne in this movie. But uh, Novocaine, what are your initial thoughts on Novocaine, sir? Hello. What are your initial thoughts on Novocaine, sir? Initial thoughts, uh, you know, it's... It's funny to see Steve Martin playing a dentist again. It's almost like if he had not become an entertainer, maybe he really should have become a dentist because he's really good at playing them. Um, this is a fun little flick. It's a little predictable, and it's got some weird visual ticks to it, shall we say? <clears throat> and and <clears throat> they, they cut to x-rays a lot, which I think is weird because like I was saying before, before we started recording, it's almost like the Fight Club video game where you can watch yourself break a bone in x-ray vision. There's a lot of that in this movie, which is just strange. And there's a voiceover that it doesn't need. Um, a lot like Blade Runner. You just don't need that voiceover. And that's kind of annoying after a while. <clears throat> but it's still a lot of fun to watch. Um, Helena Bonham Carter is just as amazing to look at as Laura Dern is difficult to look at. So, 
Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I found Laura Dern. I don't find her attractive in much things, but I found her attractive in this movie for some reason because she was all done up and stuff constantly. Because really? I, I don't know how to explain these things, but she she's never yeah. yeah. But Helen Bottom Carter, she was super cute in this movie. I I gotta say. Yeah. I'm really not terribly attracted to her, but she was super cute in this movie. Even though she was a drug addict, she she was very cute in this movie. See, it didn't matter if she was like all cleaned up and wearing glasses, or if she was wearing like two half shirts and hadn't bathed in two weeks. I was like, yeah, that's let's go, <laughs> let's let's do this now. <clears throat> oh boy, but Novocaine is a film I, I never seen before. I've seen the box art, but you've seen the box art, it, it makes it seem like it's gonna be this really funny, quirky comedy. But you don't get that in this movie. You basically get him being swindled out of drugs by uh, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, whose only goal is to basically get with him so she can steal all of his uh, his um, his his crazy pain meds that he has just hanging around the office for some reason. Yeah. And um, her brother, played by Scott Kahn, you're not quite sure what their relationship is, if they're bumping uglies or what's going on there. He's just really defensive. Almost to, to a crazy point uh, for his sister in this movie, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like walking PCP in this yes, movie. Yes, he is. Well, I mean, he comes on screen, and the entire film just elevates. He's nuts, and he's fantastic. He's just really good in this movie. But it's like he's fucking scary, dude. He's the guy that will walk through the plate glass window and not feel it for three days. I made uh, Chris Benoit joke, but I'm not going to. But oh, he's, a, he's about that size, you know, so I, <laughs> maybe he could be the rabid Wolverine and the incarnate just to find the spirit of him, not the murderous side, but like the vengeful side, you know, and <sighs> like you said, Lord. going through the, the plate glass window, I, I can see him doing this, you know, and not feel a thing. Yeah. Because he's that fucking crazy fucking movie because he's fucking all hopped up on painkillers that they, they stole from this, this, uh, this unbeknownst dentist, you know, that. <laughs> yeah. Poor schmuck. schmuck. yeah. See, and that's the thing. It's 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 almost like a '40s film noir where you've got this guy who's he's got his great job and his routine, and then people come in from the outside and just kind of break that bubble. It's like his brother comes back, and his brother is just shiftless, no good, you know, just wants to mooch off of him. And then he's got this woman who comes into the office, and for the first time. In years, he's like, wow, I would really like some strange, and I'd like that to be you. So he writes her a script for five Demerol, and she changes it to 50. (laughs) And then her crazy-ass brother starts selling Demerol around town. Then they break into his office, and they steal all of his really heavy drugs, all the cocaine derivatives. So the DAA is on his ass. The cops are on his ass. And then the murders start happening, and it all kind of it just falls apart. It's almost like, it's almost like they wrote the part for Fred McMurray in a weird mm-hmm. way. Yeah, this is one of those. How does it play? If Tales from the Crypt was a comedy and it was ninety minutes, it would play just like this movie because it has a real some real morbid, freaky stuff going on in this. Like they're they're trying to frame Steve Martin's character by, and they go to such a point where they use dental. You know, te- technology. They they steal his tooth impressions to to make him bite into dead people. In this is a really strange plot of the movie, but it really works for some reason. And then 
you come to find out he's being betrayed by this one, he's being, being betrayed by that one, or is he, or is he busy being betrayed, and, you know, who's or who his real friends are, and it, it ends in a really fucked up note, but I want you guys to watch Novocaine, so I'll just tell you what happens. Yep. But again, it has one of those happy endings, but, um... Yeah, there's a lot of betrayal and crazy shit going in this film. I, I love I love Lynn Thigpen in most things, and this film is no exception. She, she plays his uh his his snazzy black secretary, you know. And I love I love snazzy black secretaries, you know. It, it's you can blame snazzy black bailiff of Marshall Warfield on Night Court for that one because she's uh she she did it for me. Oh yeah, she did it for me. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just that kind of loyal, but if you fuck with me, I will destroy you. Yes, yes, indeed. Just, I will, yeah, just like, oh, no, you didn't. And then there's ass-kicking galore. I like, yeah, she's great in this way. I like the fact they didn't waste a lot of time on, like, I know he's a, he's, a, he's a dentist stuff, but not spending a lot of time with, like, the patients and doing this and doing that, which is kind of a fault of, you know, the the the, the, the dentist, the film we're going to cover, I think, because it's kind of a weak point in that film. This film kind of, you know... Almost plays like a, like a, like a stage play, really. And you could probably do this as a stage play, where it goes on to these four or five co- core characters and pretty much what's going on in their lives and what's what's happening here and what's happening there. And I I really enjoyed the betrayal and him being being basically this milk toast guy who's basically brought to the point of overturned where he actually goes to jail and. Laura Dern is uh, unbeknownst to what's going on, or is she? And uh, Elias Codius is this crazy brother of his who is addicted to drugs, or is he addicted to drugs, and just starting all kinds of shit for him. And it's it's really enjoyable. It's like a, it's like a dark comedy in a way, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's one of the things that I enjoyed about it is every time it starts to get just a little bit too serious. Something happens that's just absurd, yes. you know. It's like, okay, we understand that he's dating Laura Dern, and she's very uptight, and she's very OCD, and things have to be amp. Oh, even when they're having sex, it's like, and you see her. It's like you see her like in kickboxing class, and it's just like I did not expect that from this character. Mm-hmm. It's fucking weird. Even, even so, when Laura Dern and MT Martin are having sex, it's almost like. It's done her way or no, no way at all. It's like she's like the, the 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 perfect you know lay or something. I don't know how to explain it. You gotta watch the scene that I'm yeah. talking about. But like, she 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 controls well, every part of her life, including you know the way they're gonna have sex almost. You know. Well, you know, because she she won't even take her bathrobe off, but Helena Bonham Carter does. Yeah. Thank you ever so much. Thank you, HBC. We love you. He looks so bored while they're having sex, and it kind of makes you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> he does. It's like same old routine, same old sex. Uh, now she's gonna do this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just looks just like the most bored I've looked I've, I've seen uh, anybody having sex in my life. You know. <laughs> I'm gonna make this face. Okay. Oh yeah, you're doing it right. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's checking his watch like Jane Fonda. <laughs> oh yeah, you're an animal. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, it's really yeah, baby. Oh. Yeah, this little shit like that, like him being bored during sex, you know. But she, she was not, she was not really not attractive in this film. She, she was kind of cute, all done up to me, like I said. And she's a catch to it to one like Steve Martin, who's probably twenty years her senior at least, you know. 
Right, right. And we forgot the major thing, which is the uncredited surprise role in this movie. Who's that? Kevin Bacon shows up yeah, in this yeah, movie. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Bacon, who's, who's a Hollywood actor playing, ironically, <laughs> opposite Keith David, because he's studying to be an actor <laughs> in this movie. And so, so you get kind of a subplot that's, you know, it's the hard way, the hard way in is. subplot. But it's just funner to see Bacon show up. Because oh, can you, you I, imagine that, Keith David, instead of James Woods in the hard way? Just fuck yes, I can imagine just that. The fuck out of Michael J. Fox, you know, for no good reason. <laughs> see, when I see Steve Martin and Kevin Bacon together, I always think, okay, now is this like a continuation of the beginning sequence of planes, trains, and automobiles? Are they still like in some kind of weird fight conflict? And is this some ruse to fuck Steve Martin up? In the film, within a film, no, he actually helps him out in this movie because he's so stupid, you know, but that, that's a... It's true. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah, I forgot about the Kevin Bacon thing. Probably because he had terrible facial hair all over himself. Like I said, he looks like shit. He looks awful. He does, yes, he does. He looks like the eternal bassist for an opening band. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, I'm never going to get famous, I don't give a fuck. Give me a fucking long neck. <clears throat> We're the second. We're the second in a group of six asshole bands. All that's gonna be here are the the, the girls, the friends of the band, their bands, and <laughs> give, give me a bump yeah. so I go all night. Come on now. Um, I'm the drummer for Grand Funk Railroad. They gotta mean something, right? Give me some coffee or something. Jesus, this <laughs> your horn. Do 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 do. <laughs> God damn it! We play this song. Oh fuck, man. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, that's wrong. Wow, that went way the fuck out it did there. Did go way out there. But uh, no, no, uh, sorry. Uh, I'm go ahead, go ahead. I'm just gonna check something real quick. Yeah, Novocaine. Uh, it, it was a surprise for me. I mean, we watch it on Hulu Plus. You guys can watch it there as well if you'd like. A film I never bet an eye at. You know, but you're just sitting on a VHS shelf because it looks like this quirky little comedy. Because all you see is this, this open mouth with Steve Martin, Laura Dern, and um. I think Helena Bonham Carter just looking inside this open mouth. Like, I don't know why it's like that. Why, why you would have that oak box cut for box art for this very, very dark comedy, which took a twist at the end where I would never guess, but it's so fucking smartly written. Like how this is the only movie the director ever made. Yeah. It's crazy, man. But, um, yeah. With that, anything else you want to say about Overcane? Um, no, I just, I feel like I kind of just kind of hung under everybody's radar and probably needs to be rediscovered. Yeah, I think so too. I guess we'll, uh, shoot right into ratings then. What do you give it for a rating, sir? I give it a solid seven. I got some problems with it. Like, I think it's a little bit too predictable. And like I said, there's some directorial flourishes I'm not real fond of, but the performances are great. So yeah, I'll give that a seven. Yeah, I'm with you with the seven. I did, did a lot, like I said, he got a lot of good performances out of the actors that he had. And was some dynamite actors. So if this is the only film he ever made. You know, he 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 picked some good. They picked some good actors to be in this film. So kudos to you, sir. You know, indeed. Too bad you were destined for you know Showtime and made for DVD, made for DVD markets. But I I feel sorry for you in that sense. That this never, this isn't one of those you know go get a big old Hollywood release kind of deals. But still. It is even recognized more, and I say you guys could all watch Novocaine and tell us what you think about it. 
Yeah, by all means, shout that out. Go to the group page on Facebook and uh, <clears throat> tell us what you thought about that. And, uh, with that, we'll um, come back and we'll close out the show for you guys. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host, Duncan McLeish, and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old-school horror favourites, as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms. To see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Please consider us your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema. Join us on our podcast, Kiss the Goat, which will drag your soul through some of the finest and worst devil movies of the last 50 years. Devils and demons, exorcisms and possessions, cults and rituals, dogs and cats living together. Is that a devil movie? Maybe. Sort of. I don't know, babe. We'll talk about it later. Join us on the Horrorphilia Podcast Network every other week as we don our hoods and cloaks and kiss kiss the the goats. It's a hell of a good time. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. It's in the script. (gasps) My films! Oh, gimme, gimme, gimme! Ah, Chinema. Porkies? Meatballs, too? Enjoy your crap fest. Oh, go read the bell jar, you poser! Klaus, prepare to feast your eyes on the majestic grandeur of the silver screen. This man, take a good look at him. He's a specialist. He knows exactly how to turn this quiet town into a hell of violence. The Negroes will literally, and I do mean literally, Control the South! Are you willing to fight down to the last ditch and keep fighting till this thing is over? The intruder. He made the sleepy town of Caxton his town for his reason. He played on their fears and their hatreds. This town became a headline for the intruder. He brought an end to innocence. He exploited a woman's weakness. He turned neighbor against neighbor. How come you walk that bunch of black niggers to our white school? I don't see anything I do as any business of yours. And sooner or later it would happen. He would make it happen. Over here. (laughs) You're alone with a white girl in the basement of the school. But you didn't try to do anything. Is that what you expect us to believe, nigger?
it's out there. He knows it's waiting. You can't see it in the daytime. You can't escape it at night. It's not really alive. But it's not quite dead. What's going on over there? The whole unit's acting weird. 45 degrees in there. The bodies are on a roller coaster. What's going on? Come on, let's get out of here. Psychiatry doesn't throw around the way we used to. When you need to forget. I'm thinking of taking on a, a little trip back to the islands. What could be better than a return to the wilds? We had a honeymoon there and she, she hugged me. I can't fix it. I think we'd better check out this island and see what we can find. What could be more inviting than a return to the past? Hey, you guys. Look at this. Walks to the 1920s. You guys, I think we better take it easy, huh? <laughs> That's all right, children. Been meaning to get rid of them old things anyhow. These are the backwoods where time has a way of standing still. Please don't cry, baby. I'm going to be 12. And I'm going to have a birthday party. But what harm could you come to playing with the children? Get back to the old American way. There will be no devil's play in this house. That child never does finish a chore. Is your friend coming or not? You gotta have patience, son. You should learn to read the good book. He who waits gets. American Gothic. Welcome home. <laughs> You're it! And ain't none of you never gonna get off this island alive! My mama and pa sees that! Rod Steiger, Yvonne DiCarlo, Michael J. Pollard. American Gothic. Everybody's welcome to stay. Pleased to meet you. I'm sure. <laughs> American Gothic. <laughs> Welcome back to Simbeat Podcast. Hope you guys had a great time. We always do. Next up, as you guys heard, 
we have a special guest coming on for our show, which is titled TV Icons Gone Mad. Get Gone Mad. Uh, being a, a race agitator in William Shatner and The Intruder, a crazy mortician in Nightlife, being um, John Aston from The Addams Family, and then Killer Hillbilly, Yvonne DiCarlo from The Munsters and American Gothic. Our very special guest for that show will be Rob St. Mary from the Projection Booth. A legit podcast, folks. <laughs> Should be so proud, you know. Come on, go. No, it's pretty amazing. It's great work. This is a seven-hour Conan show that I, can, I can't recommend enough, you know, to, 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 to listen to and, you know, get your ears all filled up and all that good shit. And they, they always put on quality production. So you want some interviews and all that good stuff? Listen to that show. And uh, you will not be disappointed. But, um... You got anything you want to push or anything good coming up for yourself? Oh, let's see. If you haven't listened to the John Carpenter roundtable yet on the podcast Under the Stairs, be sure to do that. That's um, four hours where we discuss every single movie the man ever made. Um, You always catch me on Kiss the Goat. Uh, We just put out our episode. Shit, what was the last thing we did? Uh, I don't even remember now. Beyond the Door? Behind the Door? Oh, man, but that's right. Beyond the door. Thank you. Yeah, Beyond the door. This just fucking batshit crazy Italian devil movie um, with Juliet Mills from Nanny and the Professor. If you're old enough to remember that. Cooney had me bust, uh, busting up, by the way, when she called it a, a small child cunt face. I was uh, I was I was dying. I, was, I had to take a step back at work and lean on something because uh, <laughs> was the other one. Shit face McGillicuddy. Shit eyes. McGillicuddy. Yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, cunt face Lawson and shit eyes McGillicuddy. That's what she named the children in so that I was movie. gonna fall over laughing. Yeah, so Cootie's on in this episode, so you really need to check out the last kiss to go. She's just on point. Um, let's see. You can always catch me on the not so evil episode sidecast. Um, I write for Pop Shifter. I've got fiction on Amazon. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey X Martin, and I will follow back. And say hi. Yeah, beautiful. Until you piss me off, and then I will dump you. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> come join the Facebook group. It's the Facebook group uh, where you, you'll find yes. uh, whenever I have a show plan or he, he has a show plan, we always post it up for you guys to look at and tell you what's coming soon. Look at the pin post if you want to be a guest on the show. If you see somebody's already guesting, I, I have no problem taking on multiple guests because that's my thing, apparently. No, I wouldn't go there, you know. Only only one dick at a time, people. No, I wouldn't go there either. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you guys want to go to iTunes and rate and review us and rate and review any show I produce, including Sloppy Seconds, The Bird and the Beard, Two Chick Minimum Commentaries, you can, you, can, you, can get, you can vote in all those things on iTunes, and you have the chance to win some fabulous prizes, which I'm going to post on the Facebook page before you know it. There's uh, one including a Charles Band autograph, uh, Danny Trejo autograph, um, Jeffrey Combs autograph and a couple of random Blu-rays. And plus, I just added more more stirring to the pot. I, I have an extra Punisher old-school pop vinyl for you guys to enjoy. He will com- complete with guns and white booties, if you guys like those kind of things, you know. But, uh, yeah, that'd be very cool of you. And uh, our next Sloppy Seconds coming up will be the Chud 2 episode that'd be coming out. But tomorrow, me and Eric record a very exciting interview with Albert Pune and Cynthia Kernan, who, who made a sequel to Streets of Fire, which you, I, I got to tell you guys, it's way fucking different than the original one, but I was fucking overjoyed to have seen it. 
I watched it twice. Probably would have watched it again today sometime because it was it was that good. It's uh yeah, listen to the episode because I'm sure they're gonna give us some cool insight of you know one of the oldest genre directors still working today talking about his fiftieth directorial directorial effort, and I'm couldn't be happier to talk to him. You know, so keep keep an ear out, keep an eye out for all that good stuff, and um. Yeah, that's about it on me. Uh, find, follow me on Twitter at GW, and uh, if you hit me on Facebook, I'll I'll accept your friend request. And uh, that's about it, man. Anything else you want to say to the folks? No, thanks for listening. You know, you keep listening to us and enjoying it. We'll keep doing this thing. And uh, yeah, with that, here at CV Podcast, if you got beef, we've got the grinder. See you guys next time. See y'all. The sweet chop with my sweetheart Sandy. Got my penny safe, so I'm a sugar daddy. I'm a Hugh Cronin, she my Jessica Candy. I want candy. Put it in a pile, split it with my bitty 50 50 down the line. Kinda like close encounters of the cavity kind. I'm talking licorice, kisses, talking chocolate, smiles. I want candy. I got a sugar tooth. Put on your shingle, Sandy, cause I wanna knock boots. Lick a peppermint stick till the lollipop droop. Come drop it, don't stop till it's lit, not loose. You're gonna get your ass beat nasty Do it till your dad sees Embarrass your whole family Just cause you came between a kid and his candy I need candy Any kind will do Don't care if it's nutritious or FDA approved It's gonna make me spaz like bobcats on booze A hyperactive juice that only I can produce If you're the giant drill Born straight into hell Releasing ancient demons from their sleep forever spell So they can walk upon the earth And get resituated And hawk and diet pills And be pee-bents are created I need candy more some candy Eat candy till I'm dead I'll kill you for some candy Give me candy, candy, head. Why you keeping all the candy? Who made you candy king? If you don't give me some candy I will make the lady sick Yeah, I wish I could just talk like Robert Evans. <laughs> just... <laughs> we made this goddamn movie. <laughs> I was doing so much cocaine during this movie, <laughs> my mustache turned white for two weeks. I went full dog right in the Paramount lot. Nobody said a, <laughs> Nobody said a word. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. I sat in George Lucas's driveway while Diane Keaton gave me head. <laughs> no. Oh, it's funny. Okay. Be fine. <laughs> Should do a whole we just do the whole episode talk to like Robert Evans from now on. Just, just <laughs> That would be hilarious. Just, just telling fake Hollywood stories. Exactly. <laughs> oh shit. I did blow up Angela Lansbury's ass, and then I wiped it with a towel.
We threw the towel away. Uh, two months later, we made Annie Hall. <laughs> God. Okay, I gotta focus now. It's bad. It's really bad. 